It's that time of week. Necromaniacs podcast. That means it's Thursday. And uh, Mm -hmm. because we've now, you know, I know that we missed uh, we missed a week, but uh, usually Thursday rolls around and uh, and you get a Necromaniacs. (laughs) So how's it going, Mike? I am well. It is good to be back, everybody. Hello, hello, fellow listeners. Uh, This is Michael Scandato, your esteemed co-host, co-creator of the Necromaniacs podcast. It's good to be back, Mr. Hill. How are you? Oh, I'm doing okay. You know, it's uh, summer's winding down, and uh, so you know, it's it's uh, you know, we're still there, but you know, we can see the end of the line, starting to think about the fall, that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. I, although it is, you know, hot as hell today in Brooklyn. Uh, you know, in a couple of weeks, I'm sh- I'm sure the crisper weather will arrive, or it could be a hot September. You never know. But uh, yeah, you know, I've been been working like a dog. Got the new job and uh, got some lovely praise from the new boss, which is very nice to hear, Mike. Nice. It was very nice, nice to hear. Excellent. Yes. Was it because you know, of your, your hard work or, uh, you know? <laughs> yes, it was because of my hard work. Um, we're working from home, so it's not because of my snappy dressing. They don't even, you know, they don't even see what the hell I'm wearing, for God's sake. I, I'm wearing, like, DSI shirts or whatever. I don't know what I'm wearing. But uh, what's funny, though, it's funny that I say that because when I know we're going to be on, you know, Zoom calls or whatever, I am wearing just plain black T-shirts. <laughs> Like, I make sure to not be wearing a metal, hardcore, or horror movie shirt. Isn't that funny? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's funny. Like, with my job, we use uh, MS Teams. So yes. you have the option to not be on video. Right, yeah, us too. Yeah, so but so I don't... a lot of people turn that video on, and it's like, uh, okay, everybody's got it on. You don't want to be the one person without it. So when I know it's going to be one of those kind of meetings, I make sure to be wearing like I have I have like three plain black shirts and I have like two or three plain like solid like gray shirts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want them to see my, you know, Migla shirt. I mean, they, they don't know what the hell that is, Mike. Come on. They don't know. Yeah, they might, they <laughs> might make uh, assumptions based on that. Or, you know, me, me wearing like, you know, show no mercy fire shirt or whatever the hell i'm wearing or sick of it all or any number of number of bands out there you know i don't want to be that guy <laughs> so before we get into it let's go uh, let's give our shout outs uh shout out to break the apocalypse uh they've, yes. been, they've been friends of the show man and i really appreciate it and I'm, i know you do too mike oh absolutely uh john draper shaheen and b show brian the uh, awesome threesome and uh john's band synthetic 16 is playing a free show at the coney island brewery in coney island on october 16th synthetic 16 mike hill their first show in 15 years I so ex- that should be- i expressed interest in going actually uh-huh, yes yes that should should be a good one uh my brother's got pipes man gotta say he's got he can sing so uh should be should be a fun time uh and uh yeah if you want to laugh and if you want to you know flex your your non-kanahara muscle listen to the hilarious break the apocalypse podcast also shouts uh to brandon legion our uh our brother at horror wolf 666 and uh you know he's uh 
another friend of the show. And once again, man, if you dig this podcast, that means you like horror, check out his podcast and his blog where he does tons <clears throat> of reviews. His, um, his thing is uh, based more around interviews, and he's got a ton mm -hmm. of really cool things going on. For example, he interviewed Spider One. Hmm. Yeah, and, and I listened to the episode, and they talked about a thing that we've discussed a bunch of times, uh, the mm -hmm. Death Valley show. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I mean, the, the other thing that he does, which I always, you know, mad respect for, is he shares us all the time on Instagram, and uh, we totally appreciate that because, you know, our Instagram kind of picks up a bit, and we get people that chime in, and uh, very grateful for that. Thank you, sir. And he's a good dude. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been a guest on his show. And actually, um, if you want to find out more about what's going on with him, um, I actually going to have him as a guest on Everything Went Black, which is my other podcast. And we're just going to talk, wow, talk nice. about like nothing and everything, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what we do on our podcast is, look, I, it, we're a horror podcast, right? We, we talk about horror movies. But a good, you know, portion of what we do is just kind of shooting the shit too, right, Mike? I mean, that's right. About our, you know, our thoughts on things. We get into the music because we're musicians. We get into topics of the day. We're still in, you know, we're still in the Rona. There's, you know, there, there's other shit going on in the world, and we'll talk about that too sometimes. That's right. And uh, speaking <laughs> speaking of which. Uh, anything interesting you've been uh, reading or watching or absorbing? Yeah, um, it's funny. Okay, on the reading front, uh, a bunch of weeks back, you uh, said that you uh, breezed through Urban Gothic uh, from Brian Keane. Yes. Um, I am rereading Urban Gothic from Brian Keane. I'm about a quarter of the way into it. I mean, I read it once when it came out. Back in, what was it, like 2009, I have like the Dorchester Leisure Books press of it, printing of it. Um, man, I forgot how good this book is. I mean, look, almost all of Brian Keene's books are fucking great, but this one is like brutal. Um, so I'm rereading that. And right after that, I'll be reading Brian Smith's The Freak Show. And then immediately following that, I'll be reading the Brian Keene, Brian Smith urban gothic the reason why i'm going to reread uh uh suburban gothic i'm sorry so i'm rereading urban gothic and reading freak show apparently in suburban gothic the brand new brian Keene book there is a tie-in to freak show mike from oh, brian Smith. right i actually read about that yeah yeah so i'm going i just got it in the mail today from amazon and i'm psyched on that and here's one little tidbit i'm gonna gonna share if you bought Suburban Gothic, the brand new 2021 book from Brian Keene recently, as you should, if you look at the spine, it says Suburban Gothic. It is missing the R. It says S-U-B-U-B-A-N. So Brian Keene went on his Facebook and Instagram and said, this printing, it's a misprint. And if you grab this one, you know, you may have a bit of a collector's item on your hands because it is going to be corrected. It basically went out the door with the total misspelling on the spine. Did you catch that, Mike? Because yours is misspelled. You know what? I need to look at that again because I didn't, I didn't catch that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Damn. Okay. And he was like, you know, he was like, sorry about that. 
um, all new versions, which there's like a brand new printing coming because this one is almost gone, um, will have the word suburban with the R. So it's funny. You like you wouldn't think that would happen like with an author of, of you know of his size. I mean, he's pretty pretty big in my opinion. But sometimes these things do happen. <laughs> I have to I have to check up on that. That's uh, that's good to know. Yeah. Uh, so that's my reading front. On my viewing front, um, I started uh, watching uh, the new season of Titans on HBO Max, oh, okay. you know, Titans, yeah. which is pretty fucking great. Uh, then I watched something on HBO, which is is not horror, but I enjoyed the shit out of it, and it's got quite a buzz on it. It's called The White Lotus. Are you familiar with that, Mike? You know, that pops up, man, and I, I, I want to check that out for sure. Is it any good? It is very good. Um I would call it look it's it's comedy a little little drama it's like a dark comedy I guess um it's about these wealthy people who go to this you know resort in Hawaii and how they interact with the staff and and a bunch of you know interesting things ensue I I do not want to spoil it at all um but I just think it's just really enjoyable and it's just well acted and it, it takes some really kind of fucked up turns. So that's what got me into it. Damn. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that, um, it's, you know, you, you go online, you read about these things. That sounds, that sounds really good. It's very different. Again, not horror listeners, but it has a dark, uh, dark vibe, especially towards the end. And that's all I'm going to say. I don't want to spoil it because there are like two, you know, things in there that are definitely spoiler worthy. Uh, but it does have the extremely uh, lovely Alexandra Dodaro from uh, True Detective. Oh, yeah, uh, she's something else, man. That's for sure. So she is just uh, absolutely wonderful. And she is wonderful in this. So yeah, if you're a True Detective fan, you should probably watch this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, what about I, you, I, um, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I started the Dark Tower Tower series by Stephen King. I never read it. Wow, neither have I. Honestly, yeah. never read it. So right now I'm like halfway done with um, the Gunslinger, the first book, and uh, I bought like for Christmas. I, you know, I bought myself uh, you know a Christmas present and like a box set of uh, of the entire you know the entire series. So I'm not going to oh, read them. Yeah, I'm not going to just bang them all out like in the next couple of months. I'm going to read this and read something else and then go back. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm not just going to yeah. become obsessed with it or anything. And um, no, I mean it's a lot to digest. I yeah, imagine. it's very good. It's very different than a lot of his other uh, books, which I have to say. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's like another facet to his writing, which I really enjoy. Something else I wanted to share with the listeners: I went to my first Horicon in. A very long time. Oh, man. Uh, cool. Um, two weeks ago, uh, my girlfriend and I went to Monster Mania in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Uh, and we went on just the Sunday. You know, it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, the Friday and Saturday tickets were, you know, they, they kind of blew those out. And then they ended up getting selling all the Sunday tickets, too. But I, I managed to snag two Sunday tickets. And it was cool. I got to tell you, though, I even think for a Sunday show, definitely not the typical 
con attendance. Um, and I'm not sure. Look, I mean, I'm sure it was Corona related, but I'm also wondering if um, the cons now put a certain cap on the numbers to begin with, Mike, what do, you, do you think they do that? I mean, I, I feel like maybe, right? I mean, yeah, they I mean, keep that in mind even when releasing the tickets now in, in our current day and age. Yeah, probably. You're probably right. And also, I still think that people are, are still a little bit reluctant to go out and do things. You know, I mean, there's there's a whole yeah. array of different feelings that people have about this, you know. And, yeah. you know, like I know, I know some people that are more than happy just to still stay home. You know, and that's that's their decision. And, you know, that's cool. But like, you know, and I think that also plays a lot into like some of this uh, attendance um, that you're, you're, you're talking about. Yeah. The last con I went to was the October 2019 uh, Con, And I usually go to those on the Fridays. And, you know, that was typical. con. It was great. And then the whole world went to shit in February, March 2020. Um, but, you know, they, uh, you know, Monster Mania came back. And it was fun. I mean, I, you know, we both wore our masks pretty much the entire time, except when we sat down and had a little, something to eat or drink. And it didn't bother me one bit to do that. And, uh, but not everybody was wearing a mask and that's okay too. But uh, it was interesting though. Um, what's his name from uh, uh, Fright Night and uh, Nightmare Before Christmas? Uh, Chris Sarandon. Uh, he's the voice of Jack Skellington. And he's, you know, he's the main vampire in the uh, the mid-80s film Fright Night. He was there. Uh, he had his table. And he had one of those plastic uh, little barricades right at the table. Oh, yeah. And he wore mm -hmm. a mask the whole time. And all he was doing was signing only. I do not believe he was taking any photographs. You know what? That's his prerogative. Yeah. It's great he was even there. I mean, he... He signed whatever you gave him. He signed his own eight by tens and you know whatnot. But I guess for his own health, he's not a, a super young guy anymore. Obviously, um, you know he did what he was comfortable with, and you know what? I think that's fine. I, I was happy to see him there. You know. Yeah, I mean that's that's yeah. People do that, man. That, that's whatever you feel comfortable with, man. I'm not like one of these people who's trying to tell anyone what to do. You know. No, totally. Um, and I met Bill Mosley. I, 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 you know, I have, uh, I have a great uh, eight by ten um, from, well, from his, from uh, Texas Chainsaw Two. But I wanted one from um, Devil's Rejects, so I finally got a, a Devil's Rejects shot of him, and he was pretty cool. Um, I feel like by Sunday, a lot of these people are a little worn out, Mike. Got to be honest. Sure, I can <laughs> see that. They're a little tired. Long weekend. Um, long weekend. Long weekend. But I'm going to say something. Uh, I didn't wait online for his autograph because it had, I don't know, 300 people on it. But Matthew Lillard was there, okay? Mm -hmm. And that dude, uh, you know, we were watching his line and watching him interact with people. He was talking to everybody who came up to him. He hugged people. He literally couldn't seem like a nicer guy. Like, he was not burned out. He was like, seemed like he was overjoyed to be there as overjoyed as the people waiting online to meet him was. So that was kind of cool to see, actually. Um, I was just like, wow, he's like hugging people. Like, you know, and it's like, you know, it was like kind of interesting. <laughs> like, um, yeah, his line was immense, actually. I have to say it went, it was like, it portioned out into like the outside of the hotel and it was like, whoa, you know, but uh, I guess he doesn't do cons uh, 
all that much. So that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, you know, kind of back with restrictions and, uh, hopefully I get to go to, uh, the chiller con in October, which as of right now is, is scheduled to be happening in the, the end of October in Jersey. I was thinking about going to that one too, as well as the Brooklyn con. And, um, I was also planning to go to Salem, but there, uh, there's only events on two weekends. And unfortunately both weekends I have conflicts. Mm. So, uh, so I can't go. One of them is a wedding. And uh, oh, okay. so yeah, I can't really p bail on that. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, I don't know. I got a book recommendation for everyone out there. If you're, um, if you're interested in weird fiction, like that's like a huge love of mine. And, mm -hmm. you, and you want to know where to start. There's a book out there aptly titled The Weird. <laughs> mm. A compendium of strange and dark stories. And it's um, edited by Anne and Jeff Vandermeer. And it's a gigantic mm -hmm. book. It's all short, short stories. It's got, you know, some of the usual suspects like Robert Block and H.P. Lovecraft. There's a Lovecraft, one Lovecraft story in there. But it also oh, wow. has uh, entries by um, Ray Bradbury, Neil Gaiman, Stephen King, uh, William Gibson. Uh, you know, people that you don't necessarily, um, you know, associate with that subgenre within horror, but they're showing their versions of that. And it's... Uh, very, very good. Very enjoyable. Uh, once again, it's something you can read. You know, you can bang out a few short stories, go read something else. A couple of days later, go back. And uh, every, everything is of extremely high quality. So I That's great. highly recommend that for everyone out there who's interested in that kind of offbeat subgenre. That's cool. I mean, I feel like uh, oftentimes like horror, sci-fi, or even just the hard to classify is uh the short story is a great you know great format for that um weird fiction and you know metafiction and you know e even e even my buddy brian Keane has some great kind of like meta kind of stuff that you could read girl on the glider and which is really cool um and they're short they're not like a book so you know you can kind of bang it out yeah, and the, and these like compilations are really good to get a you know some some writers you might like more than others, and you can look into their other work. And um, in general, I've always felt like horror was really well served by the short story. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. even even Stephen King, like some of, I mean, I, I know I debate. You know, everyone, you know, there's there's like people out there. Oh, he doesn't know how to end write endings. But hey, man, mm -hmm. I love Stephen King. I don't give a fuck. You know, that's my preference. Mm -hmm. But I do, as much as I love most of his novels, and he's got like 60-some-odd novels out right now, mm -hmm. I really, really love his short stories. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, The Body, where they base Stand By Me on, is kind of a short story, although it's like a long short story. It's considered like a, a, a shorter story. I would say um, it's a novella, maybe. Novella, yes, that's <laughs> the word. That is the word. Yeah. Short book. Novella is fancy speak for a short book. <laughs> but that's cool, man. Yeah. Check it out, people. Check it out. But uh, tonight, dear listeners, uh, we will be closing the chapter on our summer horrors this evening because uh, I guess by the time you guys hear this, we'll, you know, we'll be into the very beginning of, uh, of September, ass end August. And uh, what would be more fitting than the mother of all summer horror movies to discuss tonight 
then of course the 1980 classic friday the 13th mike hill yeah it's uh sadly it's summer's end man it's the melancholy Mm -hmm. part of the year where we're looking forward to the most mighty of seasons autumn which is my favorite season yes so so yeah you know it's a little bittersweet we had fun with our summer horrors you know cruel summer if you will and, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is definitely, I would say, the, uh, the alpha of all mm-hmm. summer horror films. Absolutely. And it's funny, the, our, our, our little back and forth there just reminded me of the great cradle of felt songs, Summer Dying Fast, from the first album, Principle oh. of Evil Flesh. By the way, if you're keeping score, fellow listeners, <laughs> that is not the first time I've talked about Cradle of Filth on this show. I know some of our black metal fans may scoff at Cradle of Filth. However, I fully back the first four LPs. Anyway, um, Friday the 13th, man. The rewatch this week, uh, which was, I I believe I rewatched it on Monday night or Tuesday night. Uh, Wonderful. Wonderful movie. And look, you've seen the movie, people. We know you've seen this movie. If you haven't seen the movie... Well, that's rather surprising. But so we're not doing like a, a, a beat by beat tonight of this film. We're going to discuss, uh, you know, the movie kind of overall and what we like about it. And we'll talk about all the cool little things about it and, and its impact. Um, but look, we all know a, a lot has been said about it. But I think its importance is, you know, can never be overstated. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's... Um... You know, we, we've been spending a lot of time on these kind of summer camp films, and this really was the standout amongst all those types of movies. You know what I mean? And uh, let's say, I would say the first, I watched the first three, actually, in, mm-hmm. uh, in preparation for this. And um, what's kind of funny is uh, <laughs> it's like essentially the same story in, all the, in the first three films. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, of course, the big difference is that in the first film the mother is the murderer yes and it's funny uh, doing the, the research that you know while a lot of critics you know of of the day back in 1980 you know panned it whatever yada 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 uh some did point out the fact that holy shit we have a woman killer in this movie that was a big deal in 1980 uh, for a movie like this, for, horror, for a modern horror movie like this, to have the reveal of Pamela Voorhees at the end, uh, played by the amazing uh, Betsy Palmer, rest in peace, was a big deal, and it was a shock back then. And I have to say, if you're watching it in the theaters, I bet it's a pretty fucking sick moment, no? Yeah, I remember when I was a kid watching this movie, and it really was a surprise. I mean, the only thing that I'd seen, and and they that was even the switcheroo there was like I I remember getting into um, you know Hitchcock's uh, Psycho, and mm-hmm. though it was Norman Bates who was the killer, mm-hmm. a lot of what you thought that was going on in the film was the mother doing the murders. You know what I mean? Right. You you thought it was a woman. You know? Yeah. It, it, you're, it's funny you say that because when I was a kid, uh, with that movie actually fucking scared the shit out of still me. Still does. As a young, you know? Still does. And man. the ending still kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies uh, at the end. That that 
very disturbing uh, rotting corpse image. Yeah. Um, yes, I thought it was a his mom or a woman doing all of those killings, and then to have his little switcheroo, yeah, it was a big deal too. Um, and look, you know, uh, as, as we've said before, uh, the the antithesis for this movie was that. Uh, you know, Sean Cunningham and, and Victor Miller, who, who wrote the, the screenplay, uh, you know, they, they were in, in the most picture business. They, they saw the, the rampant success of 1978's Halloween by the great John Carpenter. And then, of course, you know, back in the day, everything was going on in Variety magazine. The magazine actually still exists as a magazine, and it's a, it's a great website. I actually read it often. Because I am, I am in the entertainment biz, Michael. As yeah, you know, I do know that. Yeah. Um, there was this, you know, this ad, as a lot of you know, and it talked about uh, shooting the horror film in New Jersey in the summer of 1979. Yada yada yada. Um, and you know, who knew, <laughs> right? I mean, it, this movie was was made uh, by Paramount, mind you. Initially, they didn't even realize that. Uh, you know, Paramount was going to pick it up. The movie was made for $550,000, you know, shooting in 79, which is not, it's not chump change for back then, but it's not a lot of money for back then either. Um, And it's theatrical run for the U S alone was like almost $40 million. Yeah. And then it's worldwide gross was like almost $60 million which was unbelievable. Like the studio wasn't even prepared for that back then, you know? Um, and honestly, I, I think uh, putting aside any kind of Halloweenisms, I think the script is great. I think the story is great. The music was fucking great. And it just, I don't know, just the stars align, I think, for this movie, you know? Yeah, well, it spawned a whole bunch of copies of this. It's which is yeah. ironic that this was a, you know, a copy of Halloween. But I really don't see the fact that there's. A, well, I mean, actually, not at all. Because if you think about it, Halloween had Michael Myers, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Friday the Thirteenth had Mrs. Voorhees. Yeah, I mean, the the only like the only similarity is. They're horror movies and they're slash quote unquote slasher horror movies and they kill young people. Like there's no, there's no real other similarity to me. I, I you know, I mean, I don't, like I said, yes, they were inspired by it, but something else I learned that I don't even think I ever even knew uh, before fairly recently was that, did you also know that they were inspired by meatballs? Meatball. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. They huh. they saw how good like meatballs was a big hit actually. Uh, meatballs listeners for the younger kids was literally like one of the first summer camp movies uh, of the modern era. You know, after like movies from you know, like you know the fifties or sixties, whatever. It's a late seventies Bill Murray movie. Okay, Bill Murray was on Saturday Night Live at the time, or I think it was right after he left. That movie was a big hit. Took place in a summer camp, and that also spawned. Comedy summer camp movies, by the way, Meatballs. They saw the success of that and the success of Halloween and had the idea, why don't we do a horror movie set at a summer camp? I never really knew that before recently. That's new to me. 
you know. And uh, <laughs> I think that the the thing about Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers, I mean, let's face it, Jason Voorhees does not play a big role in the first hall in the first uh, Friday the Thirteenth. No, they don't even say his name uh, until the first hour and 15 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Uh, but it's yeah. as time goes by and you see the iconic Jason Voorhees with the uh, the hockey mask, which didn't even surface until a couple movies later, really. Yep. And then you have the iconic Michael Myers, who from right out of the box had the William Shatner you know, mask and, and the, the work clothes. And he was more of a a complete horror icon, iconic character. Mm -hmm. And then so as time went on, you kind of see like, okay, they're like these two big slasher characters. But the the beginnings of Friday the 13th had really were way different. It's like you had a, the mother and there was, until may, maybe the very end, there's not even a supernatural element to it. No, and you know what's funny, uh, listeners, if you were paying attention, we talked about in our discussion of the burning, about how uh, Tom Savini, special effects guru, backed out of Friday the 13th Part 2 to do the burning. And I learned that part of the reason was because he felt that it was silly to do Friday the 13th Part 2 after he read the script. Because Jason is dead, quote unquote. And not only is he dead, he only existed in a in a figment of Alice's imagination at the ass end of the movie. Like you know, that, that, I, I was gonna bring that up actually. That's interesting. Yeah. You're talking about that, you know. Because uh And so I get that, but then as I read on, I was correct. The Weinsteins offered him more money also. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was a combination. Of the two, they all, he was the, the payday was actually higher, significantly higher, apparently. But Tom Savini had quite a point. Jason is dead, number one. <laughs> and as the viewer of Friday the 13th, part one, we think that was some kind of weird dream sequence because the uh, policeman and the doctor and everybody else tell Alice at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, we didn't find any boy. There's no boy. So, you know, in an alternate Earth where there's only one Friday the 13th and there's just that one movie, you know, um, like, do you think it would, I mean, I don't I feel like it's almost silly to say that. It's like, would it be this, like, unbelievably cool movie, you know? I don't think so, because you could say the same exact thing about Halloween, because to, to, uh, John Carpenter, he felt that the movie was kind of over, too, at the end of Halloween, even though Michael Myers was not there. Like, John Carpenter kind of felt that he was kind of done with it and had to be, if you know your Halloween, convinced to dive back into the pool to do Halloween, too. Um, the people at Paramount were like, fuck you, we're doing Friday the 13th Part 2 immediately because it did so fucking well, you know? Um... Honestly, I think they made the right choice by doing Friday the 13th Part 2 because the creation of Jason was fucking awesome. It's a great, it's great, you know? He lived. Yeah. Well, Fri Friday the 13th Jason 1, the first one, it's almost like a prequel to the Jason Voorhees, you know, continuum of movies. Mm -hmm. But the thing I have to say, though, is like, 
you know, like I mentioned earlier, there's no supernatural element at all in Friday the 13th. We have like, you know, a psychopathic, grief-stricken mother who's murdering yeah. all of the camp counselors because they weren't watching her son. And through their mm -hmm. negligence, he died and drowned. Okay. Yeah. So at the end of the film, there's that dream sequence with uh, Alice. Mm -hmm. Adrian King. Adrian mm -hmm. King, played by Adrian King, where this uh, rotted, reanimated boy comes out of the, the, uh, out of the, uh, the river, and then she wakes up. Now, Friday the 13th, part two. Still, that was only supposed to take place like maybe less than a year after the events of Friday the 13th 1. Correct, and, yeah. But Jason Voorhees is a full-grown, powerful man. <laughs> Suspension of disbelief. <laughs> right, but it's like, I mean, it is absurd. And I'm not saying that, I'm not letting that get in the way of me enjoying this, but I'm just saying that I, I would... As an adult man looking back, I would like a little bit more exposition as to what the fuck happened. You know what I mean? Here's the thing. All right. I thought about this, though, Mike. I thought about okay. this. Okay. All right. He, he dies in 58. It's 58. It's 1958. He's a, he's a 10, 12-year-old, whatever. Okay? Um, and by the time 1980, 81 rolls around, he's a 30-something. Now, my, again, y y y he didn't die, okay? He didn't die because he comes back for Friday the 13th Part 2, and he's a grown-ass, mutilated man. He spent his time either at the, uh, at the bottom of the fucking river growing, which, again, suspension of disbelief, or he came out of the river and was chilling in the woods. But the only problem with that he was out of the river chilling in the woods is... Why didn't he do anything to help his mom? <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, because, you know, okay. we, if he's not, if, all right, he didn't die, but somehow he lived underwater. Okay. All right. Because, um, you know, we all love zombie movies and, and uh -huh. you know, vampire movies too. So once you die, you stay that age. Like a vamp, like, you know, like, like uh, let the right yeah. one in, you but know, again, the, the um, stays a young girl or young boy who has, you know, who was identifying as a young girl and let the right one in, you know, hundreds mm. of years old, still the same age. Uh, zombies, well, you know, for zombies, they're dead. <laughs> they're just decaying flesh. So I, I don't know. I just like, I'm not like, I, I'm not, like I said, this is not affecting my enjoyment of the movie. I know that something <laughs> happened, but. You let it go. <laughs> I, I just would like, I, w I really would have loved to, to hear hear some concept as to what happened to Jason Voorhees. And that's why I'm, I'm all right, guys out there, if anyone has like um, their own version of that story that mm -hmm. they want to like add to this, like, you know, folklore about Jason Voorhees, let us know. Cause I, I can't come up with anything, you know? Right. My only thing is that he never, the only thing that, makes any lick of sense and it doesn't even make a full lick of sense is that he didn't die die because his body did grow which is why he's the size he is yeah come around right 13 part two which doesn't make really much sense but that's kind of all i got <laughs> but then from friday the 13th to on it, at least it stays within that it goes with that idea of he's like this possibly supernatural being um, 
you know, he's indestructible virtually, you know, and that kind of thing. So, so at least they stick with that sort of vibe, you know? Yeah. No, totally, totally. Now, uh, we might as well do our, our little spiel, little, little, little film rundown as we, as we do. Uh, for those who may not know, and again, I'm going to say 98% of you know. <laughs> 98%. Friday the 13th is an American slasher film from 1980 directed by Sean S. Cunningham, who also was one of the people who brought you uh, Last House on the Left, by the way, folks, with uh, Wes Craven many years prior, uh, written by Victor Miller. Tidbit, everybody. Victor Miller and Sean Cunningham have been fighting it out in court for the last several years over Friday the 13th Part 1, and I'm sure some of you may know that. Uh, starring Betsy Palmer, Adrian King, Harry Crosby. Uh, by the way, Bing Crosby's son is in this movie, Harry Crosby. Are you aware of that? I didn't realize that he was Bing Crosby's son. Yeah, uh, Bill. Bill, one of, the, one, of the camp, you know, one of the camp counselors, whatever, whatever we're calling them. I'm calling them counselors. Uh, is actually uh, one of Bing Crosby's children. Uh, yeah, so he's in the movie. Um, Kevin Bacon, uh, early appearance from him, uh, Laurie Bartram, Mark Nelson, Janine Taylor, and Robbie Morgan. The plot follows a group of teenage camp counselors who are murdered one by one by an unknown killer while attempting to reopen an abandoned summer camp. Prompted by the success of John Carpenter's Halloween in 1978, director Cunningham put out the advertisement in Variety in 79 while Miller was still drafting the screenplay. The screenplay wasn't even finished uh, when they put out that infamous ad in uh, Variety. Uh, casting took place in New York City. All of the filming took place in New Jersey in the summer of 79 at Camp Nobi Bosco, which is an actual camp which still exists today. Uh, they do uh, yearly Friday the 13th uh, tours, which one of these days I would like to go to, uh, with a budget of 550k. As I said earlier, uh, uh, there was a bidding war for this movie, like I said, and Paramount ended up grabbing it uh, for domestic distribution. Uh, but Warner Brothers, oddly enough, has the foreign distribution of the film. It was released on May 9th, 1980. Uh, side note. There was a Friday the 13th coming up in 1980, but Paramount wanted this movie out before the Memorial Day rush. How about that, Mike? That's probably wise. Yeah. Uh, there was a June 13th, obviously, but they they, they were going to put it out in June, but like, no, fuck it. Let's get this out in May. You know, real kind of summer, whatever, kickoff. Uh, the movie did real well. Uh, critical response, well, really divided. Uh, some praised it, especially the score and cinematography and the performances. But then you had, you know, your Siskel and Eberts who were not fans, let's just say. You can um, you can go on YouTube and, and see some of their thoughts on movies like Friday the 13th. It's kind of hilarious now. But, uh, you know, um, the direct sequel, Friday the 13th Part 2, was released one year later. Uh, this movie, you know, spawned a, you know, ton of imitators, a bunch of other slasher movies. One might even say, and I would probably agree with this, that it, do you think it put the bug in Wes Craven's ass to create Freddy Krueger? Like, to have his own thing, like... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, yeah. 
Carpenter had his thing with Michael Myers in 78, 1980. Cunningham busts out, you know, his Friday the 13th. And although Wes Craven had a bunch of cool movies under his belt already, he didn't have his thing yet, right? Yeah, definitely, because 1981 is the year of the slasher. That's like when everything kicked, got, you know, everything started crack-a-lacking in 1981, man, with like, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. that, that's when it really got kicked in overdrive, like all those movies like, uh, you know, Nightmare, like all these films like started surfacing in 81. Burning, Prom Night, yada, yada, yada. Um, but, uh, you know, but to say, you know, to uh, Craven's credit, by the time he puts out Elm Street in 84, while you could throw Elm Street in the mix, it's not a stalker slasher movie, man. It's it's a supernatural. It's got a whole other thing going on, you know. Well, you know, if you look at these three characters, you know, they're they're all different, really. I mean, Jason mm-hmm. and Michael Myers started converging more as the years went by. But, yep. uh, you know, they're both these silent killers wearing masks. And, uh, you know, uh, Freddy Krueger is pretty much it's straight up like a supernatural character that lives in your dream the dream world and he mm-hmm. he's got these one-liners and he's like a, like um like definitely more of like this ethereal character that comes into reality and like you know and in some ways i always felt freddy krueger was like a little bit more scary than either one of them i'm gonna make a statement of the three franchises if there's one that, like, to me, could have closed the book on the first movie, it's fucking Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, I, I really think that's the first one is fucking awesome. It's scary. It was different. It was fucked up. I don't give a rat's ass about the sequels. Like, a rat's ass. I happen to really enjoy uh, Halloween 1 and 2. And three for whatever we've talked about our three we've talked about four and five, uh, but like Nightmare on Elm Street to me, as a singular film, is phenomenal as just a singular film. I know it's a franchise. There are people out there that are covered in Freddy tattoos. Freddy means a lot to a lot of people. Freddy is my number three of this group of three, but that one movie I think. Is just like a like a standalone movie, to me almost. I don't know. I agree with that, but I do like the first three films. Hmm. You know. What okay. I mean? And and um, but I mean, hey man, it's it was the age of the franchise. Yeah. So they you know they wanted their their guy, another guy, and um, hmm. I think like as a character, um, it's interesting because of all like those kind of like um. Uh, what the hell is it called? Like, uh, like sleep paralysis and actual mm-hmm. phenomena that happens in in with people. Like you can read about it online, and there's there's a documentary called The Nightmare made about it, where people get sleep paralysis and they see these dark figures with wearing a, wearing hats. Hmm. And Jeez. Freddy Krueger came from that sort of thing. Like that was, I mean, you could we- read interviews with Wes Craven where he talks about it, and. Um, mm-hmm. That made it more scary to me. And the fact that, you know, falling asleep, you know, I love sleeping, man. It's like, it's like one of my, especially at that age. Like I was like a young kid, you know, growing, you're sleeping a lot. And all the kids, you know, they're all like high school age. And it's like, 
the worst thing in the world would be something that can get you in your dreams. I thought back then. Mm. Yeah. So I, I, I really, I really dug the first movie. That that to me was a classic. Michael Myers is just cool. Like I, I've always been more of a. He's like my favorite of all the all three characters, really. Well, let me ask you. I, I only rewatched uh, part one uh, of uh, Friday the Thirteenth. You, you, you did one, two, and three. Yes. What are your 2021 thoughts of Jason as it stands right now? I thought I, I got to be honest with you, and and this is why I'm I'm actually going to continue down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other, oh, other I, films. I plan on it. Yeah. Because I think your brother brought up <laughs> brought this up in one of one of his discussions was like, yeah, it's debatable which character actually got better, which movie mm-hmm. franchise improved over time. And I think I might agree with him that Jason Voorhees' character got cooler over time because I, I definitely, Michael Myers, when we got to like four, five, and six, I was kind of done with it. Yeah. I mean, as I've said before, when one of the best things about the movies are the posters, it's just, you know, I mean, what more can you say? Um and some of the things I really enjoyed about four and five were the title cards. I mean, that's what I'm that's what I'm going on about. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, totally. I agree opening with you. Crawl, like, is that is that a good movie? The opening, the opening, she opening shot. Um, yeah, and it was just look as as we said last year. It was just nice to have Michael back, right? It was nice to have him back. It had been a good ten years, but with Friday the Thirteenth. There isn't a 10-year gap. I mean, we go 80, 81, 82, you know what I'm saying? It goes, it, it, they, they, they turn them out, you know? Um, and again, I, I'm going to really need to rewatch, uh, in particular, one through four, which obviously are arguably the, the, the strongest films. Um, and they're definitely the ones I enjoy the most. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, anyone who uh, detracts the Friday the 13th Part 1 as this Halloween ripoff is just just simply not true. I, I just would not agree with that at all anymore. I mean, you know, it, it's just kind of like a hack response. Like. Yeah, it's definitely like like someone read that somewhere in a blog and they're just repeating it because really the, their stories, everything's different. I mean, you know, Michael Myers and Halloween, it takes place in the fall. You know, and he's like this kind of moody, like dark character. And Friday the 13th, one, it's the mother is the murderer. And it takes place in, at a summer camp. And it's like, hmm. if you, what, they're, they're, they're not even remotely the same. And Victor Miller's script, okay, in part one, it's a fucking good script. Sure. And it's a good story. And, and again, if you really rewatch it, okay, and you listen, and particularly one of the most interesting listens in the movie is when Annie, uh, who never makes it to the camp, uh, she's supposed to be the cook, is talking to the truck driver. You literally get the entire Crystal Lake story and the Christie's and the years, and it's a great part of the movie, actually. You get the whole fucking story. And I, I, I kind of forgot about that, I guess, you know? That's a good scene. Yeah, no, it's, you know it's great. It's great exposition, you know? It's yeah. Like that, that's like, yeah. 
something like if you like you know study you know how to write you know how to write fiction that's like some of the biggest uh, obstacles that fiction writers have is how to actually in an interesting way give the background of everything and i think that that mm-hmm. was a very very masterful device that they used in the script where it's like okay how are we going to tell the story we're gonna have a monologue of some guy reading the fucking headlines or some shit like that but i think that it was cool like some some weirdo truck driver gives okay this is what happened this is where you're going you know like that kind of thing uh that actor's name is rex everett the character's name is the truck driver he doesn't have a name <laughs> if you take that scene out of the movie you don't know anything that's right <laughs> so the ass Till the literal ass end of the movie, you're you don't you don't know anything. It's kind of interesting that whole scene. It's not super long. If you just pay attention to that scene, listeners, it's a yeah. great scene. Yeah, they do it in um, like no time. They do it like so concisely and efficiently. And then you take mm-hmm. that scene and you marry it to the end with uh, Betsy Palmer as Mrs. Yeah. Voorhees, yeah. telling you um, her reflections on what happened. And that's pretty much the whole narrative right there. And then there's like all the stuff in the middle that brings you to the end. And it's like really well done, I think. And uh, as you know, it's been a little, uh, you know, bone of contention with uh, this, this new thing on social media in the last two years, Friday the 13th, part one is Giallo. So I did, did a little more homework there. No one in this movie, Victor Miller and Cunningham and, they hadn't even seen any Mario Bava movies yet. They hadn't even seen a Giallo, apparently. So yeah. it's coincidental. The Giallo traits in this movie are pure coincidental. Are there Giallo traits in this movie? Yeah, there's traits, okay? But any preconceived, you know, script writing or you know, it's kind of not really there according to Victor Miller and Sean Cunningham, but apparently someone at Paramount, like there, there's like one one guy was was a Baba fan, but again, it wasn't anyone who wrote, or it wasn't Cunningham and it wasn't Miller. Uh, I'm trying to remember who, who was somebody from Paramount or somebody. A listener is going to set me straight, I'm sure. But it's to me, it's, it seems a bit more coincidental, barring... Maybe like again the, the body count and the kind of uh, surprise ending, and there are some red herrings in this movie. If you're watching the movie, at one point you might think the killer is Crazy Ralph, right? Yeah. Yep. I I think I I feel that. Yeah, definitely. Might think that. You might potentially, if you're really sleuthy. Or real suspicious, you might think the killer is Steve Christie. Maybe. Okay? Maybe. I don't know why I thought of that. You know, with the, the mustache, glasses guy, the you know, the, the guy whose whose parents ran the camp, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, short shorts. Like older older dude right, who's like shirtless with short right. shorts, yeah. Exactly. Who is like a little bit inappropriate with Alice, I think. <laughs> then there is a bizarre scene where they kill the snake. And I believe that's Harry Crosby. I believe that's Bill who kills the snake, by the way. I believe. They kind of put the camera on him after he kills the snake and he's got the hatchet. And they, there's a little moment there where you may, is it, is it him? Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you don't know who the fucking killer is, okay? Uh, 
Side note, uh, they killed a real snake in this movie. I found that out doing wow. my research. Yeah, they did. 1980, folks. Anything goes. Then again, 1980, oddly enough, was the year Deodato shot Cannibal Holocaust and the mutilated, you know, 50 animals. So, hey, it <laughs> yeah. almost makes sense that it almost makes sense that this American movie killed the real animal, too, right? That year. You know, that, that movie, it's a little hard to watch Cannibal Holocaust, man. <laughs> As we've said before, yeah. I know. You know, a little, it's a little hard to watch. Yeah. I maintain it's a great horror movie. Um, I, I, it is. It's a great horror movie. It's probably the only cannibal movie you need to a degree. I'm not a big cannibal guy. Nah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Jungle cannibal. Um, Mike and I are not big jungle cannibal guys. Not really. No, nah, I would um, say not, not. That's that's the only one. I have I have the Blu-ray of that, but um, yeah. You know, it just sits. Um, it sits there uh, unwatched <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> so. I like it. I love the music. I love the mood. I love the film within the film. I actually like the movie a lot. Is it a movie I go back to a lot? No, but I actually really think it's a great movie. But anyway, that was a little aside. So yeah, unfortunately, the snake killed in Friday the 13th was a real snake that was killed. That's kind of sad. So yeah, getting back to it, there's some red herrings. Um, and as we said earlier in the podcast, it's pretty fucking shocking when uh, Betsy Palmer arrives and she's got her sweater on and Poor Alice thinks she's going to be saved. <laughs> That's a great scene too, actually. Yeah. No, the ending, the whole ending is, I think, masterful, really. But just real yeah. quick about the giallo, it's like I, you know, people get very um, fast and loose with that term, <laughs> you know. And I don't, I don't, you know, it's like, it's yes, there's those things are present in the film, but giallo films have a style that mm-hmm. are, is very, very, uh, you know, unique to them. Mm-hmm. And this right. doesn't have those style points, in my opinion. There's no... Not really. No, yeah, not I mean, really. Like, you know, we, we covered uh, Dress to Kill, and that, mm-hmm. that, that, in my opinion, that hits all the boxes, you know, for Giallo. Yeah, and, and De Palma said, yeah, he was, he was watching Italian movies, uh, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um but I just think that it's it's a slasher. It's it's like the standard bearer slasher. It's it's a it's an American fucking movie, Mike. No. Well, let's say this. Let's say that maybe Giallo films are the precursor to the American slasher. Oh yeah, you yeah. can talk. Oh no, I mean even in a timeline wise, you could one hundred percent say that because the Giallo boom uh, goes, you know mid 60s literally till the ass end of the 70s and what happens at the late 70s early 80s america the slasher movie so yes it's the precursor absolutely yeah it's almost like thrash and death metal or something like that yeah right no no no. totally agree with that and good good analogy uh you wouldn't have had the death metal boom doesn't happen really without the thrash metal boom I, i i'm gonna say that no I agree. And also some of the early death metal sounds a lot like thrash. Like, for example, like <clears throat> those first couple of necrophagia things and, you know, sounds more like Sepultura than the later stuff, you know. Much like the black metal explosion couldn't have happened without the death metal explosion. I, 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 I don't think, yeah. you know, yeah, there's, exactly. there's, a, there's a kinship and there's a, a bit of a there's some lines blurred with certain bands and you know it, again 
with thrash to death and death to black metal. I think it's kind of all there, you know? Yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, then I know people who, who say don't even like jowls at all, but they're really into the, you know, the slasher stuff. And I just personally chalk that up to not really giving it a, the good jowl as a shot or not even actually seeing one at this stage in the game. Shame on you if you haven't, um, but you know, it's very, it's an American thing. I think, I think the slasher thing is just like, it's like the, it's like the baseball, you know, the, the, the baseball, the beer and a hot dog, you know, sure. the slasher. Yeah. I'll, I'll agree right? with that. Yep. Um, one of the coolest things about this movie, Jesus Christ, Harry Manfredini's fucking scholar, right? Wow. Um, it's funny. I, you, you can be say that, Although you didn't see the killer, like the killer was his score. Like, right? I mean, you didn't know who the killer was. He had to, you had to, he created Pamela Voorhees before Pamela Voorhees was, uh, you know, on screen via music. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really, uh, that's like a really good point, man. Cause like, yeah, you, you don't, you know, it's funny, like looking back, like I was, too young to really make these connections in my mind when I saw this. I was a kid. But mm-hmm. now as a grown man, you know, with like got some experience under my belt in the world, you know, I I uh I can I can I can definitely agree agree with that point. Yeah. And you know, again, is it you know, is it Halloween score-esque? Mm, it's more kind of orchestral. Uh Halloween score is like a synth. It's like a synth. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's, it's very like modern in 78. You know what I'm saying? It's very like, uh, I feel like it's synthy. No, I mean, the yeah, sound. Uh, yeah, totally, man. It, I mean, well, <clears throat> I mean, for me personally, I'm, I'm like a John Carpenter guy. You know what I mean? I, oh, I, yeah. I love right. all of his music and, and it's um, very characteristic to what he does, man. You know, it's like the synths, you know, it's got this kind of like tangerine dream esque like thing going on, like this, like very austere like synth score, um, and just maybe the signature Jason Voorhees thing because of mm-hmm. its like kind of starkness. Mm-hmm. Some people might say that, oh yeah, this is like similar to this other thing, but but aside from that, I th- I really do feel like it's apples and oranges. Yeah, it's also to me, it's or it's orchestral. Yeah, it's, it's- exactly. It calls back. It's apparently he was he was inspired a bit by Jaws. Uh, that oh, okay. in that uh, you know in Jaws, John Williams's music is what you're kind of afraid of, right? You're, right, you're, right, right. For a good chunk of the movie, you're you haven't seen a shark. You're afraid of that fucked up music. That's the fucking case for Friday the Thirteenth. The music is fucking scary. It's good fucking effective music and to me again it calls to mind i think a little more of an older film like an older style of movie and maybe like again like psycho that fucking music you know um and i it's just very uh it's much like the halloween score it's kind of it's unforgettable it's like unforgettable music and that key 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 ma 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 that's actually harry manford Danny's voice uh, his own voice, uh, doing that. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's historic just as to me, just as historic 
as as the Jaws score and just as historic as fucking Carpenter's Halloween score. Also, I want to call to uh, call to attention that Tom Savini does his uh, his signature uh, neck gag uh, at mm. least at least twice in this movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, and I I think he shoots the ar- the the arrow scene. I believe that is him shooting the arrow, uh, for, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the movie. Yeah. Um, something else I want to bring up. I I love like the night like the 1980 female like like has this kind of like this kind of classic beauty like of course you know all the characters are good looking but like you know kevin bacon's good looking guy i feel like the other guys are kind of like these schleppy guys you know (laughs) (laughs) um but like all the women i think are like these beautiful like 1980 women you know with this like very kind of like these this classy kind of look to them and stuff like it when i was a kid like i remember i would see these movies i would just be like these are things that would kind of stick out in my head. It's like a young, you know, uh, prepubescent boy or whatever the hell I was. Like, I saw this movie pretty young. Um, the first time I saw it was a TV screen, TV airing, actually. Right. On Channel 5. And I was watching it with my brothers, and they kind of, like, forced me to sit there and watch it because I was kind of afraid of horror movies then. And I have to say, I enjoyed it. Like, this, this movie broke me out of that shell at a certain age uh, from a TV airing, which had to probably be 82, 83. So I was about nine or 10 when I turned that corner, maybe 10 where I turned the corner and stopped being afraid of horror movies. And then like, you know, I would see like these older teenage girls and I would be like enamored by them, you know? <laughs> well, that that's the thing about this movie too. Cause like those, those, all those women were older women for me when I first saw this movie, you know, like <laughs> yeah. now, now they're like, like kids, you know, and I look at them, but when I, yeah, when I first saw this movie, they were all like these older ladies, these older, you mm. know, like they drive cars and you know what I'm trying to say? Like I, I was like a, a kid, you know, when I saw all these movies and it's just funny to look back now and be like, yeah, a like, young, young lady, uh, <laughs> you know. Men and women in, in the late 70s, early 80s looked older than their age, you know? That's true. Um, yeah. Watching this now, it's like, no, they're supposed to be kind of young, although they don't look young. They probably are young. It's just how people look to them. It's a weird thing. Like Steve Christie is, is, is a dude in his 20s. He looks 30-something years old. Yeah, like, you know, but also weird. they did like, they did cast older actors to play younger roles too. You know what I mean? True, like, true. In, in Beverly Hills, nine hundred two one zero, wasn't there that one actress who was like, he was thirty. Yes. Yeah, she was like forty years old. She was playing like a seventeen year old girl. <laughs> I believe um, it was the one who played Andrea. I believe. Okay, the show starts in nineteen ninety. She is like twenty nine. Okay, into her thirties as the show progresses as a fucking high school student. So yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but I always thought Adrian King was pretty fucking awesome in this movie. Uh, I thought she did a great job, and I always thought Amy Steele in Part Two, so it was like a bang up job. Like I, they're kind of like the unsung like horror heroines. Like everybody. And everybody gives Jamie Lee Curtis her props, and she does deserve her props. Don't get me wrong, but I always got like I always thought that Adrian King and Amy Steele were fucking killer. 
Yeah, because they kind of looked like like women or girls that you'd see around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like my cousin, when I was, uh, you know, she was a few years older than me. And I remember, you know, like she was in high school and I was in, um, you know, in grade school. And all of her friends were these like hot, like, you know, like early 80s, late 70s, like women, you know, like these high school chicks. And as a young kid, I was like, oh, yeah, man, you know, these girls, like, they're like, these are like older women, you know. And that's what, that's what always reminds me of this era of film, because they all kind of looked like that. They had, like, the curly hair and, like, you know. That certain hairstyle. Yeah, the you know hairstyle. What's mm -hmm. When we hit the very beginning of, of part two, and, you know, I'm going to delve into part two, but this, this you know, it, it's a part of part one. Man. When Adrian King dies, it fucked me up. I didn't want to see her die. No, no, she she made it out of the ordeal of the first yes. movie, and I wanted her to live a happy life, man. Yeah, wow, that was like a bum out. Like, wasn't it? Wasn't that's kind of a like a dark beginning to part two, if you really think about it. That's just a side. We're not going to delve into yeah. part two. But but not for but nothing. Uh, I had no idea what the fuck was going on in part two because part of me is like, oh, <laughs> what, what? why is there a sequel? Because this kid was a figment in her imagination and then some grown man shows up. You know? And that's where I think, that's when I think it becomes Michael Myers again. You know, that that's where that, yeah. that maybe that initial... You know, uh, tendency to to veer into that direction with the character really really surfaces. <laughs> so, doing my research on, on uh, the late Betsy Palmer, who plays uh, the lovely Mrs. Voorhees, uh, before she got this movie, when you know, cast in '79 for the 1980 film, she had not been in a movie in like 20 years. Yeah, it done only television for a while in this time because she was a movie actress uh in the in the 50s and uh yeah she hadn't done any movies in a very long time and it's funny that there was somebody uh film reviewer who said that like her casting alone gave you the ending of this movie and it's like hmm but who was paying attention to that? Like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Had no like, idea who she was. When I right? Was a kid, man. No, no. Look, we weren't, a, we weren't, you know, checking out these types of things in 79. But if we were like some kind of savvy movie person back then, would we have figured that out? You know, man, that, that that's that's the thing that happens, you know, like 20, 30 years later. Like some fucking right. wise ass is like, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> but it's like. Who anyone who watches this movie in the eighties is like a genre fan. Like they want to see like <laughs> blood and guts and fucking horror. They're not looking at some actress, you know, who's who's probably her peak was like twenty years prior to that. They're not. They, they don't know who this now, fucking lady is. You know that. But also historically, that happened a lot uh, to fifties stars in the seventies and eighties. A lot of them did go on to like shit, shit, quote unquote, low budget or shit movies, uh, which, you know, it, it's it just it was what it was. Yeah, you know? it, made, it made her a horror icon, though. You know, yes, most it people gave her it literally gave her the role of her career. And it, she she always was astounded by that in a way, you know, like it gave her a new life, you know. Uh, I mean, she did cons until 
the time she passed. She, yeah. she was like a she was in a big attraction at the cons, you know. And uh, her, she would make a joke saying, "I have no idea who this character in a hockey mask is." My son died in 1957. <laughs> <laughs> see, you know, see, yeah. It's, you know, again, like that's we kind of what we said earlier. It's like the suspension of disbelief. If you can't let that go, you can't enjoy this franchise, people. No? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that that's 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 the thing, man. It's like, you know, maybe we should have a contest or someone to write their, their origin of Michael Myers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, apparently it was the 18th highest grossing film uh, of 1980, uh, it had some stiff competition with The Shining, Dressed Up the Fog, and Prom Night. All those dropped in 1980. 1980 was a good year, huh? Definitely, man. The Fog is like one of my favorites. Fucking A. Yeah, uh, get this. Yeah, Betsy Palmer's last actual film was 1959, The Last Angry Man. And then all she did was television for a good near 20 years. And then she landed this role. Unbelievable. Now, this is probably a stupid question, but uh, did, did we ever talk about The Fog on this show? No, we've never covered The Fog, and The Fog is an excellent uh, autumnal horror film. That, that's why I bring that up. That's why I bring yeah, that up. I think, uh, I think we'll have to bang that out. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll do some more more Carpenter stuff. Why not? I would yeah. be down to do that. Well, totally. Absolutely. That would be fun. But, uh, you know... Again, uh, with 2021 eyes, I, I really enjoyed the hell out of watching Friday the 13th. Uh, you know, it's, I've always liked it, but I think as I'm getting older and the movie just is kind of even loaded with, with more nostalgia as I'm traveling well into my 40s, um, it's, it's like a favorite, you know? And uh, with, with that, I, I actually give this movie a five out of five. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually, uh, that's what I have written down, too, is my score, because it is um, a seminal classic. Um, it inspired a lot of uh, copycats, obviously. And also, just like from a, a writing standpoint, I think the movie is, yeah. is really well written as far as scripting goes. Um, you know, I like that people remember Michael, uh, not Michael Myers, <laughs> they remember Jason Voorhees. But mm -hmm. he's really not even a, a, a factor in this film, which is always, I thought, pretty awesome, you know? No. I mean, cheers to fucking Victor Miller, man. The script and, and, and creating this. And this is a great direction, I think, by Sean Cunningham. Um, you know, this, this kind of changed the game and put, you know, put a lot of people on the, on the map, so to speak. And uh, it's funny, the name Jason Voorhees was... Uh, Miller's idea, uh, as well as Jason being the combination of being uh, the first names of his two sons, Josh and Ian, and Voorhees was the last name of a girl that he went to school with. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, growing up, Mike, I lived on East 21st Street and Voorhees Avenue. <laughs> there you go. It's and she said that. More of a, you know, more <laughs> Maybe that's, that's another reason. More connection. And another odd thing, there's a Haddonfield, New Jersey, which harkens back to Haddonfield, right? Yeah, that's close to uh, Philly. That's like South Jersey. Right. And I believe th there is a Voorhees uh, s somewhere as well. 
or, or there's another kind of Voorhees connection or like a Voorhees Avenue or Voorhees Road or something. It's kind of, you know, these weird little little connections. You know, I, I, I'd like to look into the, the, the origin of that name because it's like uh, that name pops up a lot. Yeah, there's Voorhees Township in New Jersey. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So there's Voorhees and Haddonfield. Interesting. Yep. And all of the Horicons are in Jersey. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Except for the ones in Massachusetts and New York City. <laughs> but yeah. no, but, no, but I'm saying like yeah. there, there's literally like six a, six yeah, a year. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's a lot. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. yeah that, that's um, a lot of kind. <clears throat> those towns, uh, was it Hope, uh, New mm-hmm. Jersey, and um, what was a couple oh, other Blair towns? Town, yeah, where they filmed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like an hour and a half uh, west of where I'm at right now. Well, a, a lot of that stuff is still standing, especially, I mean, with the campus there, but a lot of the... Uh, the the early stuff like that little bridge and Annie is walking, all that kind of looks the same apparently. So be cool to check that out. And there's um the guy in the truck has the Stanhope, New Jersey town indicated mm. in the truck. And yep. I I believe because I've actually been to Stanhope, New Jersey. There used to be a venue there. That town area actually looks like Stanhope. So wow. that, that could very well be it. I remember that when. When we played out there, we showed up in Stanhope, and I'm like, man, this looks like the uh, one of the sets for Friday the 13th. <laughs> and I was like, you know, it very well might be. That, that's because it might have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Unbelievable. Well, this was a lot of fun, and um, we hope you have enjoyed the, the, the summer horrors. Uh, they'll be back next summer. Um and you know, we like to change it up a bit. I think I think we're gonna delve into some more Euro stuff. I mean, we'll 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 catch up with some newer stuff. We might do some more Carpenter. You know, the Halloween season is coming. Um, we've kind of ran the gamut on the Halloween franchise. We will cover the new Halloween, though. Uh, obviously, I'm very excited about the new Halloween. Might yeah, argue. yeah, definitely, man. It might we might actually get all three of us together to talk about that one. Yes, yes, that, that might be a doozy. Um, yeah, because, you know, last year we, we covered a lot of bases on, on Halloween. And if you go back, you could hear us cover literally every film. Uh, we haven't covered six. I, I, six, I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't even want to do a whole episode on part six, I, honestly. I, I agree. Um, yeah. What I, what I am going to do, though, is continue with my uh, exploration of the later Friday the 13th films. Yes, good idea. Uh, you know, tonight, actually, I think I'm going to watch part four. Awesome. Yeah, four is one of my faves. Um, it's funny. Part one is shot in Jersey. Part two is in Connecticut, and the rest are all California. <laughs> part three? Expert, uh, Jason takes Manhattan, which is Canada, and about 10 minutes in Manhattan. <laughs> part, part three, I got to say, I didn't really like that one. That was the one. That was the 3D one. Yeah. I, I again. I need to. It's been a minute and a half. I need to see it again. Out of the, out of the first three, that was the weakest. I think out of the first three. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I'll, I'll see how I feel about it. I'll, I'll definitely report back on the old show. Uh, once again, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And as a final thought, my band, The Last Stand, has a new record out. It is a split EP with our friends One Choice from Los Angeles, California. 
The record is called From the East Coast to the West Coast. It is on Irish Voodoo Records on every streaming platform imaginable. Uh, the vinyl is coming out early 2022 because putting out vinyl right now is a damn nightmare and everyone is backed up. Uh, but again, you can check it out on all streaming services. The Last Stand from the East Coast to the West Coast. Thank you to everybody who has checked it out. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, everyone. And, uh, you know, check out tomorrow, man. I've been doing those Friday, uh, you know, staff picks for mm -hmm. uh, random films that um, I find interesting. Sometimes they go way far into left field, and sometimes they don't. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a lot of fun coming up with those things. I've been watching a lot of very obscure stuff over the last few months. So those staff picks are going to get more into the you know the the nether realms of uh, of horror films cool and uh everybody be safe out there and we will see you next time take care everyone <laughs>